born November the 25th, 1915. Kit Joyce. My father's name was Herbert Edward and my mother was called Elizabeth Elizabeth Jane. They were born at Olney. Father was a shoemaker with a workshop in the back garden and he worked for Mansfield Shoes, Abington Park, Northampton. He used to make our shoes for us. Before marrying, I think that Mum was in service in London. Lucy was the youngest, and then Connie, Nell, and there were four boys, Archibald, Ron, Jack and Ted. I went to the council school, High Street, only. The oldest sister looked after the younger ones, and I think that I went to school when I was five. I caught the bus from only to Ideal Clovias in Wellingborough when I was 15 and I was employed as a machinist making men's waistcoats. I earned eight shillings a week. I met my future husband Frank who was on the, on the press at the Ideal and he came from Findham. We married at Oldley Church when I was 23 and then moved to Findham and have lived here at the same house since then. I think that it cost us about £350. Brian was born in 1945, Peter September 46. Then after nine years we had Elizabeth Jane. They all started off by going to schools in Findham. When Brian left Doddington Road Grammar School, <coughs> he became a mining engineer. Mainly working in the Middle East, Africa, Peter went to Earthingborough Secondary Modern School before going on to Weaver's Technical College. He later went to Hull University and became a teacher, teaching science, I think. Jane also went into higher education, studying at Lois Doff and became a teacher, now working locally at a school teaching English. Brian has two children, two sons. Peter had one son called Adam and they live in Chelmsford. Chelmsford and Adam is about 17 now. Brian lives in South Wales. I stopped work for some time when I had my children, then went to work for Ideal, which is where I think that I met my very good friend Peggy Stevens from Eastfield Crescent. I think that I think though that I also got to know her through the children, mainly Gail. As a way of making ends meet, I used to knit and sew. Frank later went to work at Alamas Burton Latimer as a foundry man and he would come home quite shattered at tea time. I would say that I was a home bird really. I met Audrey's husband Paul Ellis who also went to Wellingborough Grammar School in about 1962. Paul used to come over from Wellingborough when Frank and I went out. They used to roll up the carpets and get out the records, all parties were a riot, a real scream. Paul would always clean up afterwards and it would be spick and span for when we got back. We used to have a black and white wire-haired dog called Pooch who was a friendly little animal. I sadly lost Frank some years ago, about 20. I had to have, I've had to come to terms with his loss now but of course still miss him and can still see him in my mind's eye in his chair. Anon. Some of our neighbours included Ma Berwick, ET correspondent, Mrs Main, then Mrs Bollard, 
Mr Wheatley, who had two daughters and a son. We lived in the same house until I was 14. I went to Finan Infant School, which is now a junior school, then on to Wellingborough Road, which later became a secondary school. I remember that the headmaster was a Captain Sutton. I also remember dancing round the Maypole and the May Queen being crowned. I went to Sunday school at what is now Dr Spencer's house and the boys went to the boys' school. We sometimes had to go to church from Sunday school. When I think back to how many shops we used to have, there is a big change. There was Mr Cox's general store on the corner where the health centre is. Across the road in the square there was a water pump and two massive stones beside it. Everyone who had a horse, etc. used to use it. Mr York, the blacksmith, as well as Mr Dawson, had premises in Well Street. I remember Mr Dawson beating the anvil and singing at the top of his voice. He was really pleasant. My parents had a small holding during the war, and I worked for my dad in Frapston Road. He kept all manner of things, including pigs, calves, hens, rabbits, dogs and cats. In those days, people were registered with us for eggs. The police called every month to ensure everything was legitimate. I enjoyed doing the work. There were two stone cottages, and Chamberlain's lived in one, where Halifax is now, and, and was a sweet shop owned by Mr Gallop. He was a really big man. He sold bottled sweets of every sort and chocolates and I remember him being really nice. I remember the houses in Eastfield Crescent being built, many of them by Marriott's, whilst Bert Childs built some of them. Miss Wilson I was born here in 1918 and went to Molso Infant School, then the Girls Junior School and then back to Molso Senior School. I had one brother and one sister. My dad worked as a shoe operative at the co-op, which was then at the bottom of Obelisk Road. We always respected our parents and I feel that we had good parents. We had to go to Sunday School and I was a Sunday School teacher. Later on, we always had a a week away at the seaside every year. After church and during my teenage years, a group of us would walk to Findon Station. A few trains would stop there at that time. I had happy days at Sunday school. A treat would be a parade around Findon. Afterwards, there would be sports in Station Road. The old prize brass band played in the evenings and Mr Remington was the conductor. My time in the Entertainment Society was started in the junior school dancing, dancing group and I belonged to this for a number of years. Again, these were very happy times. Mum stayed at home to care for us and this was a usual thing to do in those days. Very few women went out to work. During the war, I was a member of the Women's Land Army and I used to be up and at work by 6.30 and during harvest time, we would be working until late into the evening. I enjoyed the Land Army and I felt I was doing my bit for my country. We used to keep pens to supplement our living. 
when war was declared, we carried our gas masks to Sunday school and they were kept in a cardboard box. I remember planes going over when Coventry was bombed, finding entertainment societies, church Sunday school society was resumed after the war to try and build things up again. Hearst Cuttles was that Hearst Cuttles band used to play down at Star Hall every Thursday night. We also used to play badminton in the Star Hall. We used to go to the pictures in Wellingborough Road on a Saturday, on a Saturday night. Buses ran much later in those days. I feel that pavements were much tidier in those days and litter is much more of a problem now. It is sad to see shops closing. Traffic is heavier now and I feel that we could really do with the bypass. I'd far rather keep our town as it is than build houses on our outskirts. I think that we have a good variety of things happening, including over 60s, Darby and Joan, Brownies, Rainbows, Teen Dean Entertainment Society, Ramblers, Towns Women's Guild, Women's Institute, Cricket Club, Football Club, Darts Team, British Legion, Tennis, Tennis Club, Keep Fit, Yoga, Line Dancing, Pilates and St John's Ambulance. Roma Pierce, 1918. My father, Conrad Rennie, mother, Edith Lydia, both of High Wycombe. Father worked as a foreman for a furniture maker, while mother worked as a pushchair worker making the seats. My grandfather used to make Windsor chairs. He would engrave his initials on the bottom of the chair. My uncle was a head gardener for Benjamin Disraeli. I also had a sister in law who was a seamstress dressmaker for a duchess. I had two cousins who worked on the Windsor Castle estate. I also had a sister who lived until she was a hundred and three. I attended Priory Road Board School. This was an elementary school which was run by professional people like doctors, nurses and professors. I didn't like school as I was terribly shy. I worked on a press in the laundry factory having left school at the age of 14. However, when war broke out, our work there changed dramatically. The government removed and then stored away all the laundry and machinery and replaced it with machinery for making telephone cords and cables for the Navy, Army and RAF. I carried out this work for six years. You You weren't allowed to give notice and leave unless you were ill or having a baby. After the end of the war, the government brought back all the machines. Of course, the original people were still there, but I didn't stay. I met a boy when I was age 17. He was living with his mother, who had separated from her husband. She moved to the seaside, so of course her son, my boyfriend, moved with her. We corresponded for a couple of years. He then wrote to me and told me that he had fallen in love with another girl. This was before the war. When war broke out, he joined the RAF and was initially stationed at High Wycombe. He came to visit me, but my dad answered the door. Dad, 
found me and told me that an American was waiting at home to see me. I told Dad that I didn't know an Americans. I only realised it was my old boyfriend when I saw Wilfrid sitting there. He stayed for dinner and then he went out for he and I went out for a walk. He left me telling me that he would keep in touch. However, he later wrote me a letter telling me that he would not be able to correspond with me anymore. I met Ronald Pierce and after six months we married in 1937. He was, he was from Tatlin End near Gerard's Cross. He was a supervisor for G-Plan Furniture. He had been... <coughs> As soon as one baby left, I was given another one to look after. I think I have fostered about 12 children. As it happened, the one from Bernardo's was with me until he was 16 when he went back to his mother. He later asked if he could come back, but this didn't seem appropriate at the time. His sister had been fostered by my husband, husband's sister, so we knew what was happening to him. His sister stayed with her foster mother until she got married. By now I had decided that I didn't want any more babies to take care, for, take care of. However, sometime later, someone from the authorities returned and asked if I would take in a homeless girl of 17, a white girl with a... two black babies. I took this little family in and they stayed with me for about a year. My days of caring didn't stop there though, as I was asked if I would be prepared to take in working men and women. I was asked to take in house two policemen, which I did. One was quiet and introverted, whilst the other was brash and, and of different, a different nature. They stayed with me for a year. It was hoped that but by this time that they had benefited of a home atmosphere, they went back into the force. Two years later, I read it in the newspaper that one of the policemen had killed himself. The other policeman had said to me just before he left me that he was he was the first person who had lived with her who had never that I'd never rowed with with me. Another man came to stay with me. He was a teacher who I thought was arrogant. As both my sons had suffered head injuries, one fell down the stairs and the other tripped on our half and smashed his head on the edge. I thought that the teacher should be aware of their conditions and never thought that this teacher should never tease them. He came to me later and told me that one of my sons had picked up a chair and was threatening to hit him with it. I told him... I scolded him. I scolded my son, not anyone else. He left soon afterwards. He pr he was proud to say that my sons overcame. I, I was proud to say that my sons overcame their difficulties of earlier life. One son is a trained advanced chef and works in a prison. I live at the cloisters. I have a little bungalow. Bungalow. I now wait to move to Rosewood Manor Court. They have a flat there for me. I have to sell my bungalow before I can afford to move. I love coming to Saxon Hall. My daughter brings me here three times a week.
This is so wholesome. I love this story. It's so entertaining. And I love to hear what elderly people say because sometimes it's so meaningful. Please, please share more of your life stories. They are amazing, brilliant, simply brilliant. Mr. Harry Bailey, born 1918. The following story written by Mr. Bailey was given to me by his daughter. One of my earliest memories I have is at being at the age of four. I was playing in the high street in Earthenborough, my hometown, when a soldier came walking up the street. He surprised me by saying, hello young Bailey. He took me to my own house for, as you may have guessed by now, he was my father. From the age of four I spent a happy time. I had them, my brothers, George and Fred, sisters Mabel and Ellen. There were four below me and four above. I started school at the age of five and remember showing off when my mother left me with the headmistress, Mrs Hardwick. Apart from us being poor, we were very happy. My father did like a glass of beer, but not until we were well shod and fed did he have one. My days at the senior school were happy except for one schoolmaster. My pals at this time were Sammy Whiteman, cousin, Ernie Bailey, cousin, Ernie Foster, cousin, Tommy Overton, Fred Bull and Bert Partridge. But I had a lot, lots of nice pals in those days. I could name at least a score, but they were the main ones. Sammy was a daredevil and got us into a lot of trouble. We seemed to thrive on it, though. One day he came into school smothered in oatmeal, when asked how he had got it there, he said his mother threw the bowl at him because she had broken a copper stick on him. I think that he deserved all he got, for he used to give his mother a hell of a life. She locked him in his bedroom on one of her hospital parade days and he hung out to the window with a sheet around his waist because the window was parallel with the road and the parade travelled on. At the age of ten, I sold the papers and delivered them which I got three and six per week. On Saturday nights, I sold football papers and got two pay, tuppence per dozen. I used to sell about 18 dozen, so I used to give my mother about five shillings each week, all told, but I used to have a lot of pictures, a lot of lot money for pictures. I used to buy myself a pair of socks about every two weeks. I was a devil with socks and used to get a good, pair for a shilling. My sisters never seemed to have any money when it was time for pictures and I used to treat them often. Maybe they don't remember this. I bought tacked fruit for Johnny from Johnny Birds. That, that shop is in our high street. Fred worked at Featherstone's Victoria Street, Mabel Express Works. Now then, there was there at the factory. At the age of 14 I started to work at Bays, Victoria Street. I'd have to start work at six in the morning and so I would not be late. I would have a good wash at night and put my collar on and tie, tie back it on again. Go to bed, but that only happened until Dad found out. Then he, then he solved the problem by letting me wear one of his mufflers. At 14, I got my foot trapped in the lift and had about 14 weeks on compensation at 12 shillings. 
a week, two and six better off than working, but the pain was worth it, all the, all of that. The big toenail had to be removed. Then Nurse Stanley, who was the nurse then, with Dr Gibbs, started to cut up with cut it off with my scissors. But this was more than I could bear stand, so I had to have it off by gas. The doctor said I would not want anything that night, but I never felt more hungry and ate half a loaf. When recovered from my injury, I went to work at the Express, and when I came, came for me to have a rise, I had two weeks' money, and I had the sack. It was the only time I would ever have the sack in all of my working life. With a day, within a day, I went, I went to work in Rushton, and that firm went bankrupt. I was not very interested in girls at the time. We used to have a lot of fun over at Vinden, the whole gang of us. But after a time, we, we turned to Rushton. It was about this time I met you. When I met you, I thought uh, you were destined for me. Your eyes used to fascinate me. You used to stare at me on purpose. There were grand eyes, and to have, and I used to be embarrassed. I used to say, "Don't stare at me, allies." We used to go to the co-op hall. Many times, I would take the home, take you home after. After I missed the bus, but I did it. Did not care, and there was something about you that seemed worth it. My days at the senior school were happy, except for one schoolmaster. My pals at this time were Sammy Whiteman, cousin, Ernie Bailey, cousin, Ernie Foster, cousin, Tommy Overton, Fred Bull and Bert Partridge. But I had lots of nice pals in those days. I could name at least a score, but they were in they were in they were the main ones. Sammy was a daredevil and got us into a lot of trouble, but we seemed to thrive on it. One day he came into he came into school smothered in oatmeal. Yeah. I think we've read this out. At the age of... No, I've read all of this. The doctor cut my toenails off. And I had to have um, gas to have my toenails off, cut off. And I was so hungry after this treatment. On September the 1st, 1934, a day I shall never forget, we were married by the Reverend Brooke Hunt at St Peter's Church, Rushton. Glancing out of the corner of my eye, I saw you walking down the aisle on the arm of your father. You were dressed in a lovely pink gown and hat and white gloves up to the elbow. You were all that I had pictured and more. To me, you were the most wonderful thing that had ever happened to me. I trained at Preston and my first posting was at Lake Byrne, North Wales. The nearest town was 26 miles away, but it was lovely there, so peaceful and beautiful. The hills seemed to touch the sky and the lake was magnificent. The hotel on the hill had all sorts of people and I took a well-known, I took a well-known man trout fishing on the lake. He gave me... Half a dozen and fifty bags, and we enjoyed the supper that night. There were eight of us there, and we soon got to know the shepherds. 
and villagers about the mile away a farmhouse up the lakeside used to send eggs and butter and we lived like lords for a while. Josephine Kenneworth was a daughter of this man and was 12 years old. She was a decent sort of kid and used to treat us as her friends. When we were, uh, went away they gave us 50 fags each and a letter with the crest of the lords on wishing us goodbye as they had to hurry back to London. We were moved from there, there to our depot at Pensarn and, and there was about two week we were there for about two weeks. Then to Cleebury, Mortimer, and while I was there Gloria get, get was born. I got ten days compassionate leave. You were in the front room when I arrived home. You hadn't had an easy time. Doctor Berry sold us a pram so you were fixed up okay by the time I got back. Soon afterwards I had to return to North Wales. I was moved to the Maltings. If ever there was a place made for pigs, that's the place. It was the worst billet I'd ha had in four years and four months. I stayed there for four months, then moved to Mount... where I was a camp runner on a bike. I am hoping for some that some day I shall be home for good, just... You and I and the three children, as the September night ends and the darkness falls, I close with I close with love. The next story comes from Jim, born nineteen twenty. I met Jim in Burton Latimer Library, and I was enchanted by his his presence. Um, I'll just read the story. My mother, Dorothy May Carter, was born in Chalfont St Giles, Buckinghamshire in 1884. My father, James Vaughan, was born in 1884. Mum met Dad when she visited her relatives in London. Dad worked as a glazier. I believe he got himself in a bit of trouble when he was a young man, but avoided a brief spell in prison by joining the army. He wanted to join the cavalry because he had been working in stables close to where he lived, but the recruitment sergeant decided he should join the infantry instead. When he left the army, he was kept in the army reserve. Dad then got taken on by the Metropolitan Railway at Baker Street. This was the first underground railway in the world. His job was to maintain the buildings, mainly painting. He continued with this job until Germany declared war. Dad later told me that he was in France in 48 hours. He was at Mons in Belgium. There were hundreds of men to begin with. This was the first time that Dad had ever, ever had to fire a rifle to kill. The battle continued for three days. A lot of men were lost. Orders were given to retreat. They retreated for 14 days until they were on the outskirts of Paris. A French general realised that the left flank of Germany was weak, so he commandeered all the taxes in Paris to be filled with infantry men, aiming to prevent the Germans from advancing. Germans, French and British started to dig their own trenches. There were many casualties. Mr Churchill thought of a plan to attack by going through the Dardanelles in order to attack the Germans battle-hardened troops 
were put into boats and steamships. The men were told to march up and down the beach. They were told to fire, told to fire with, between the legs of the enemy, not directly at them. However, this proved futile. The men didn't have enough supplies and the clothing they wore was insufficient. Sometimes two or three men from the same family would be killed. After the war, Dad returned to the Metropolitan Railway. Everyone was so poor then. Women would sing in the streets. A lot of men were sleeping on benches near the river. The organ grinder would be giving out a tune. Ramsay MacDonald became the first Labour Prime Minister, but after 18 months he resigned. Child benefit payments were cut from one shilling and sixpence to one shilling a week. Adult payments were also reduced. They followed the Jarrow marches. They had to pass a medical before they were allowed to join the march from Jarrow to London. The Jarrow march was not backed by a political party, but was formed by all classes of people. People wanted to, All people wanted to do was to work, but there was no work available. Poor people were stigmatised then, just as they are stigmatised now. There, was, there were soup kitchens in the schools. You could smell the soup being cooked. We lived in a small property. The rent was seven shillings a week. Dad had been supplied with a blue serge suit after he was discharged from the army. The pawning of this suit was our rent money. Mum would pawn the suit on a Monday for seven shillings and then get the suit back on Friday. Mum and Dad would go to the pub for a drink. On Saturdays, beer would be four pence a pint. That the following Monday would see them back in the queue to pawn the suit again. The queue was always long. Everyone was poor then. Mum and Dad were good parents, in spite of the poverty they faced. They then followed the Spanish flu. It was said that more people died from flu than did in the Great War. Mum and Dad lost twins, aged three to this flu. I had short trousers and jumpers, but no underwear. Rickets and, tuberculo and tuberculosis were rife. There was no medical help for these conditions, really, apart from being sent to an open-air hospital. I have an older sister called Dorothy and a younger sister called Margaret. My youngest died in 1941 of rheumatic fever. She was 17. Funerals were paid for by the month. You could be buried for £8. When the national assistance came in, it was £28 to pay for a, a coffin. Many people were buried in paupers' graves then. I used to play a lot of street games as a boy, such as marbles and cricket. I used to, used to use the lamppost as a cricket stump, but would run into the house when the police arrived. I went to Bridge Road School, North West 10. I'd walk to school. I loved to read when I was at school. In fact, I learned to read by reading the Bible. I signed at the front of the class and delivered a passage. Children who weren't as confident as me would be given the cane, a grown man giving a child a cane. If I pulled my hand back, then I'd get another stroke. I had a nice headmistress who was very good, as she would just slap me. You started at standard one, but wouldn't move to the next standard until you were proficient at level one. Special needs schools didn't exist then. There were 43 children in my class. 
Boys in senior school would do carpentry whilst girls did cooking and needlework. I had to be able to read the ruler. If my work reached the required standard, then I'd get a stamp on my card. A lot of children left school without being able to read or write. I met a young girl at Harrow on Hill recently. She was aged about 23 or 4. She told me that she couldn't read. I don't think she had enough money to pay for her train fare, so I gave her some money. I feel it's a disgrace that children left school without being able to read then, just as it is a disgrace now. Teaching has changed so much from when I was a child. I learned by rote. I also think going to watch silent movies helped me to read. I remember there was a bubble with words on it on the screen. I could read well by the time I was age seven. I remember Cliffhanger and Walter Milley, Miller, Cowboy and Western films, as well as Charlie Chaplin. All his movements weren't, were to mine. You could also buy small films, which, when they were shifting pianos, they really made me laugh. When we were living in the first house, we bought, we bought the Evening Standard, the only book we had in our house when I was a boy, was the Bible and a book on military law. Dad couldn't remember. He read, couldn't remember everything he read in this book. He could, Dad could remember everything he read in this book. He could read, but he couldn't spell. But before Mum married, Dad had li been living in a tired cottage with her family. Her father was a farm labourer. Mum told me how they had deaf and dumb people as neighbours. Mum used to help out there so she could help to help them to learn sign language. Our family moved into a lovely council house in the early early thirties. It was a Canadian model which was shipped into England. There wasn't a brick on the house. It had four bedrooms and I shared a bed with my brother until I was older. I think we were lucky to live in a nice house. We we had a separate bathroom and toilet. There was a 19-foot garden and a 28-foot back garden. We lived at number one, Wembley, which was by the River Brent. It's funny looking back, but there was this chap who had a bigger garden than us. He paid a penny a week extra rent money for this privilege. We also had 40 units of free electricity every week. However, a third of Dad's wages would be taken in rent money. Our lives were different then. A green grocery van visited street week, the street weekly. The butcher would sell his meat late on a Saturday great, at greatly reduced price. Mum used to buy a T-bone of beef. We'd have a Sunday roast, cold meat on Monday. Then on Tuesday we would make a stew. Everything, including onions, would go into the pot. It smelt lovely. The butcher would have a delivery of ice blocks of ice blocks regularly. These blocks would be delivered wrapped in sacking to keep the ice cold. A van came round the streets every week selling carbolic soap, which was used to keep everything clean in the houses. The rag and bone man called round every day. Wives used to love to go out and find a bargain whenever the rag and bone man called. However, visits were later reduced to one a week when new regulations were introduced. The milkman would come round with his pony every day. There would be a big container on the back of his trolley where the milk was kept. Women would take out their measuring jug to 
fetch their milk from him. Another of my early memories is of a group of lads clubbing together to buy this old car. It had solid rubber tyres. The boys must have spent ages trying to make it roadworthy. Another funny memory I have is of private, private bus companies racing to get to collect the passengers before the other bus companies got there. This practice came to an end after the London Transport Company was formed. I left school at 14 and went into the engineering business. I worked for Wavers Engineering, Minerva, Minerva Road, Willsdon. I didn't like this job, so I left after four months. I then got a job at BEA Woodwood Wood, Royal Sovereign Pencil Company. The firm processed wood from Africa. Pencils have different woods. Wood is put into a solution, then into gas ovens. Wood was delivered by lorries. It was pushed into sheet metal sheds where it was stored in metal holders containing a, sol a solution and then put into gas machines. The heat was turned on for, 30, for 34 hours. Afterwards, it would be put into brick-built ovens and then, and then cooled before being taken to the Royal Southern Sovereign Factory for pencil making. I was employed there for, for two years. Continuation of Jim's story, um, born nineteen, not born nineteen twenty. At the start of the Second World War, I had to go for a medical checkup at Acton Drill Hall. I recall that this was near ironmongery and oil shops. The result of this was me getting a letter in the post to go to a private practice in Wimpole Street. <clears throat> I was ushered in to see this doctor. He even had his own x-ray machine. I was given another physical examination. I wasn't up to service, not even for a Bevan boy. I then worked for Victorian Machine Tool Company in North Acton. I had been doing vertical drilling before. My job was now to do drill casting, making vertical drills for milling machines. It was a family firm. I was there for about 32 years. I was made redundant and was without a job for about two months. My son-in-law helped me to get a job at General Motors, Kingsbury. I was then forced to look around for another job and was lucky enough to find a job working at Heinz Food Factory. It was a good firm to work for as they had a canteen which opened from 6.30am until 10am then opened again from 12 until 2pm then 5 till 6.30pm. It was a factory that was open all day and night. The factory was next to the Grand Union Canal. In the earlier days the, the boats even transported live turtles to make turtle soup. In the same factory were women who were putting olives into jars. The women were not allowed to talk. They had a huge, huge barrels of vinegar also brought, brought in on barges. The factory, or, factory also had its barges bringing in things like baked beans. They had about six lines of beans from small to large. I remember that there were half a pound tins of beans with pork fat on the top. Mum used to buy a tin for me. I recall how they used to have little lines running above where we worked. All the tins would be moving along on these lines.
Mr Hines was a Quaker and was a very generous man and had started his business in America growing horseradishes etc and he would sell his produce on the markets. He must have done very well doing this. In 1920 he came to London on a business trip. The businessmen he met bought up all of his stock. The factory had a doctor and five nurses to help to look after everyone. There used to be five tea rooms. If you started work early, then you would be given a free breakfast. It would be very handy for single people being able to get their meals in the factory. And factory canteen, every Christmas people would be given a gift. Every five years you were given a booklet with things that you could choose as a gift. It proved very useful for young people who were looking at setting up home and getting married. I married Mrs Doreen Gower at Willesden Register Office in 1947. She had three boys. I met her when she was working as a capstan lathe operator at the Victoria Tool Company. She had been living in Tottenham until she got bombed out. We had three daughters and a son. Our first child was born in 1947. She now lives in Bushy near Watford. Our second daughter was born in 1949. She now lives in Pinner. Our next daughter was born December 1951. We then had a son born December the 31st, 1955. He lives in Burton Latimer. I have been living here in Burton since 1993. I have ten grandchildren. My family generally come up to visit me every three or four months. I was in hospital in October in October for a few weeks. When I was discharged, I was staying with my daughter in Bushy for a while. My wife died the day after Boxing Day 1985, which was also the year that I retired. She died following a heart attack. I moved to Burton Latimer when London felt too dangerous to remain. We had been burgled twice and two house bricks had been thrown through the windows. I had an elderly brother who lives in Harrow. His wife had died. I would go and visit him and he then moved in with me. I love Burton. It feels free from crime with no mugging or stealing of cars. I still love to read and to visit Burton Library, a really lovely and welcoming place. I live from day to day now. I love to talk to older people who live here. I would say that there are an awful lot of transient people living here. I met a bloke a few years ago who told me how he had a dis distinguished conduct medal. He said how his last operation was to free prisoners of war on the borders of Poland in Stettin. When they had polished the German guards off, off it was tea time. He, he said then, isn't it about time you went home? This man drank man's pork pale in brown ale, which made me decide that I would like to sit next to him. We belong to the RAC club. I think that they built five apartments there. That's the end of that story. Thank you, Jim.